0: This morning, I want to jump in. Um, We've been looking at a couple of different things um, in the scriptures, post-resurrection of Jesus. And as I was reading, um, just in general, I came across this uh, idea. Sometimes I'm I'm curious about how phrases come to be and how expressions, uh, you know, how we get the expressions that we use on a regular day basis. And I was reading that back in the American colonial days, women stood over a kettle and stirred wax in order to make candles. You know, it's very different than what we do today, right? With all the factories and and how stuff works type of videos that we can see these mass productions and stuff. But they would stand over a kettle and stir wax in order to make candles. And so if they didn't pay attention, the wax could burn their hair or their clothes and it could be a problem. And so those who were not paying attention would be said to them, hey, mind your own beeswax. Mind your beeswax. You ever heard that? You know, it sounds like a, 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 a playground insult, mind your beeswax, right? And uh, that statement was born out of that experience, at least that's what, you know, some people say. Um, and as I was thinking about this in the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, I'm looking and all of a sudden, as I'm reading the scriptures, this statement jumps out at me, mind your beeswax, right there in the scriptures. I'm like, wait, what? And now it doesn't come across exactly in those terms, but the thought, the, the idea is there. Mind your beeswax. We use this expression basically to say, hey, take care of your own business. Hey, don't, don't pry. Don't, don't meddle in someone else's affairs. Mind your business. Mind your beeswax. All right, we all good? Any new candle makers here excited to go mess with some beeswax today? So as I mentioned last week, we we're looking at the fact that Jesus, after he, he rose from the grave on resurrection Easter Sunday, he didn't just get up out of that tomb and then say, see you later, peace out, sayonara, I'm heading up to heaven. No, he hung around because he needed to take care of some things. He wanted to do some things. He, he wanted to you know take care of his disciples and commission them with the mission. And so we find that in John chapter 21, we're going to be there today looking at this statement, looking at this uh, post-resurrection appearance. Jesus sticks around in the Sea of Tiberias, which is also called Lake Galilee, to deal with his disciples, and he has come specifically, especially for Peter. It's an incredible encounter. He has come to restore him to the mission. Yes, Peter, the man who had denied Christ, the man who said, I'm going to go with you to the very end, Jesus. These guys are all fools, these other disciples. They're going to abandon you. I'm going to be with you to the very end. And yet Jesus says, hey, man, before the, the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Yeah, this, this Peter who denied Jesus, this Peter who was so bold, it's this Jesus is this Peter that Jesus shows up for on John chapter 21. We have Jesus coming here post resurrection, post Peter's failure to reinstate both this disciple's hope and his commission, his calling. It's an incredible encounter found in verses 1 through 19. And if I invite you to actually check out a previous message that we shared here from this pulpit uh, called The Epic Fail. It's on our YouTube channel. Go check it out and explore the depths of that amazing reconciliation. Today, however, I want us to focus just a little bit further than verse 19. I want to draw your attention to the captivating words that Jesus shares at the end of John's gospel. After he had restored Peter's hope and reinstated his calling, Jesus even sheds light on Peter's eventual death. Jesus shares with him, hey man, you are going, Peter, I know you denied me. I know you were so, you know, you know, conflicted about that and it hurt you so bad and it hurt me and all that. I know, Peter, but Peter, you are going to be faithful through the end of your life. You're going to live a long life and then you are going to die for the faith. You will be martyred. Peter, this is encouraging because you were, you were wishy-washy. <laughs> Peter, you know, how often do, come on, just be honest. I, I've thought about this. You know, in life, it's not about uh, how we start things, but how we finish, right? Like anyone can start something, but do you finish it? And, P- and Peter is given the incredible opportunity to know that he's going to finish well. He's going to finish faithful. And so Jesus tells him this incredible news Which, you know, you got some mixed feelings about, obviously, because, you know, we're not really too excited about dying. But he is told this incredible news, and then Jesus goes on and shares him something else. As Warren Wizardby once said, he said this, that when a person has settled the matter of death, then he is ready to live and to serve. You know, we see that Peter has this matter of death resolved in this moment and he's ready to live, and he's going to live. But you know what? Peter's going to be Peter, and he is going to always be kind of true to his. People change, but you know, they might not change too much. And so in this sense, I want to look in light of all of that, in light of all of this context, I want to look at verse 20. Are you there? Say amen. Amen. All right. Chapter 21, John, verse 20. Peter turned, and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, hey, Lord, what about this man? Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Lord, I thank you for this word, and I pray that you would just make it practical into our hearts in your precious and mighty name. Amen. Jesus, you just told me I'm going to live a long life. I'm going to be martyred for the faith. I'm going to be faithful till the end. You have shared with me my future. Hey, uh, what about him? What about John? You know, what about this other apostle that I'm always with? It's, it's Peter, James, and John, right? It's, it's these three that were the inner three out of the 12. We're always together. We're always kind of playing off of each other. We, we, we've got more one-on-one time with you than the others. And you know what, Jesus? You just told me my end. What about him? What about his? The apostle that, that is, is intended here, John, it, it's... it's has been known to be the apostle whom Jesus loved is, in fact, John the apostle. It's one of the 12. And so he is looking at this man that they've, you know, had an incredible relationship with and walked with in these three years and probably knew even before these three years of following with Jesus. Um, What about him? What's going to happen to him? To which Jesus responds, verse 22, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. If it is my will that he would stay alive in all of it, that he would not kick the bucket, that he would not experience the sting of death until I come, I I know what year we're in, and yet, you know, years and years down the road, there's going to be a people still waiting for the return of Christ. If John is to stay alive until that very day, that very hour when I appear on the clouds, what does it matter to you? Peter. What is it to you? What about this man? Church, can we just uh, you know uh, be, be open and transparent here for a second? Isn't this what we do sometimes? Isn't this what we do sometimes? We, we look at our situation. We look at our you know struggles. We look at our victories. We look at whatever the cost is, the prices that's being asked of us, the demands that's placed upon our lives, and we look at everything that's happening there, and then we look around and we say, hey, what about them? Hey, what about my neighbor? Hey, what about, my, what about this person across the aisle? Hey, what about this? What about that? We get wrapped up trying to know what's going on with everyone else, what's happening in everyone else's life. We fixate on their experience and the demands placed upon others as if that is the standard by which we measure our own. In essence, Peter was saying, Lord, you just asked me to follow you. You told me the cost. I'm going to have to forfeit my life. Jesus, I'll pay the cost. But will John have to pay it too? Jesus, I'll pay the cost, but you better make Tim do as well. I'll pay the cost, but if Sharon ain't going to suffer like I'm suffering, I don't know if I'm going to pay the cost. We, we, We might not say this sometimes, but we think it. We might feel the weight of being a Jesus follower or the cost of of being a disciple of Christ and what it means, what it entails. And we might not verbally say this, but we might think things in our hearts like, God, I'll stand alone. I'll be mocked. I'll be tried. I'll be be persecuted. I'll be whatever. But as long as there's other people who's also going to have to do the same. Jesus, I'll praise you in the middle of my storm, but I better look around and see some other storms. I better look around and see that it's raining on my neighbor, too. I better look around and see that I'm not alone in this. Sure, I'll endure the trials, but my neighbors, my colleagues, my family, my the person across the aisle—they're uh, going to endure too, right? Jesus, am I in the right place today? I'll endure, but I want to see others doing the same. And if it's as if we act as if everything has to be fair, we sometimes know. You know, like have you ever heard this saying? Like, hey. Suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) Have you ever heard that? Um, Life is not fair. And we think that every experience that I have, everyone else has to have the same experience. And even when we come into the faith and following after Jesus, that we all are gonna have the same experience and that we all need to have the same benefits and all have the same favor and mercy and grace and this and that. And yet there is the same level of love in store for everybody there is the same effective salvation available for every person but let me just tell you we are too diverse and there are too many variables we will all go through different situations and different things will be called upon us at different moments of our lives that is not exactly the same as the person sitting next to us that's why you can grow up in the same household with the same two parents and you can have two very different kids or however many kids there are in the family, and they could all be different. Why? Because we are complex. It's all very different. You know, we look around, we don't say these things, but we we sometimes look around and we want everything to be fair as if we are owed something and we see people, you know, stop about this, I used to, I remember sitting in this, in here, in this sanctuary auditorium and I was watching a baptism happening and, you know, I was both intrigued and I was both conflicted at the same time. There was this young man being baptized and I was thinking of his story and I was captivated by his story. He came out of drugs and he was was living a life that he was, you know, dealing drugs and, and getting with the wrong. People and he had encountered Jesus, and Jesus had changed his life, and things were happening in his life. And, and I'm looking at that, I'm like, dude, I've been with Jesus so much longer than this kid, and, and this kid is over here, like experiencing God in such a way, and this is incredible, and yet I don't have that. And I'm looking and I'm comparing, and you know, isn't, isn't that interesting? Sometimes we look at other people's lives and we start saying, you know what, uh, but they have so much more sin than I do. Come on, we're in church. Let's be honest here. Nobody's ever thought that, huh? But that person is just so much more sinful than they went so much deeper into the pit than I did. They, 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 they hurt more people. The, the, the actions that they took, the things that they did, man, they offended God in such a way. And they broke so many relationships in their path, in their wake. And I did not do a fraction of that. And God, now they've come to you. You've made them new. And now your blessing is showering upon their lives. And your mercy is there. And, and things are happening for them. And this and that blessing and this door of opportunity and this and that is going on in their life. And Lord, what about me? What about my favor? What about my life? what about my mercy what about my healing what about my family what about my children god what about me nobody here has ever thought that right no we 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 are solid We're, we're not the peter we're john by the way john is the one that purposely wrote in his book that hey i got to the tomb before peter Hey, I I am the one that, I'm not going to say my name, but the disciple whom Jesus loved. (laughs) That ain't said about Timothy, (laughs) not said about Philip and Andrew and Thomas and Bartholomew and Peter, it's said about John. Um, Okay, yeah, we don't compare, we don't contrast, we don't do this we get tripped up thinking that you know what i've been in this longer i've you know what about me we see it there and it's almost as if we become the older brother you know what i'm referring to in luke chapter 15 there's an incredible parable that jesus shares We developed this older brother syndrome, and this is an incredible story. I want you to go to Luke 15 and just just park your Bible there, and it's the parable of the lost son. There is an incredible story that Jesus tells to illustrate depicting the grace of our loving father, our heavenly father. It's a story that shows how God responds to us when we come to him with humble faith. It affirms that when we recognize our own depravity, our own issues, our own sin, our own need for salvation, we can approach a loving God that all along has been longing, yearning to demonstrate grace towards us. It's an incredible story. And we often focus on the story of the younger brother. Why? Because it is so heartwarming. Heartwarming. It's so overwhelming. It's beautiful. It's succinct. And it's it's, it's just an incredible story. Now, I know that not everybody here in church may know the story, and so let me share. Maybe someone online, you don't know the full story. Let me just give you the Cliff Notes a summary of this situation. A wealthy father had two sons, and one of the sons, the younger son, decided, hey, you know what? It's just way too inconvenient that you're still alive, Dad. I just want my cut of the inheritance. So, Dad, just, just, just you know, I know you're not kicking the bucket, but cash me out. And the father surprisingly cashes the son out. He goes and he gets the money. He gives it to the son. And the son says, all right, I'm riding out into the sunset. I'm living life on my own terms. And he goes. And as you can imagine, this young brother, this young son, he goes and he spends all of that inheritance, all of that wealth on every fleeting passion of his, every fleeting desire. And as you can imagine, he squanders it all. He wastes it all. And then it tells us that in that moment... When everything was gone, every, the last cent was spent, a famine came upon the land, and this kid was destitute. See, that's what sin will do for us, church. The Bible tells us that sin, there is a way that looks right to a man, but the end of which is death. Sin will take you to a foreign land, will leave you desperate, destitute, and alone, and sin will just leave you there and say, yeah, I had my fill with you. That's what it will do for all of us. And so this young man in that moment, as he is there contemplating himself and his situation, his friends are gone, things are, are broken, he has no money, he is hungry and emaciated, he decides that he needs to get a job. He hires himself out to a local farmer and he starts to take care of pigs, something that was not kosher for him in his you know, little Hebrew background. And in that moment, in his pain and his sorrow and his misery in his, in his depression, in his hunger, he starts looking at that pig slop. He starts looking at the food that those pigs were eating with drool and nastiness and mud and mire and, and, and brokenness and rotted food and all that stuff in the carobs. He's just looking at all of that, and he yearns to eat it, because he's so hungry. Isn't that incredible? See, that's what sin does for us. It takes us to a place where we just don't make sense anymore. It takes us to a place where we will do things that we would never have done before. Let me, let me just soak up and eat all of this nastiness because I'm so hungry. And so in that moment, he has a realization. He says, man, even, why don't I go home? My dad's servants live better than this. I have an idea. I'm going to go home. I'm going to talk to my dad. I'm going to apologize. I sinned against him. I broke his heart. I dishonored him and disrespected him. I basically told him to his face, dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me my stuff. Let me live life on my own terms. And I, I was, wow. Can I just go home? And I'm going to beg him. I'm going to Beg him to have mercy on me and just let me be a servant. I will take care of his animals. I will just, I will do whatever he needs. I just, I just need to go home because it will be better than this. So he does. He goes home. And the Bible tells us in, in Luke 15 that what happens when that father sees that son in the distance on the horizon. That father says, you know what? I'm not going to wait for him to close the distance. That father gets out and he sprints towards that boy. And he runs to him to embrace him, to hug him, to hold him, and to to celebrate his return. That is the incredible news of the gospel, church. That is what happened. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not wait for us to come and pour our lives out. But he came and he died on a cross. He poured out his blood. He Broke his body so that we could be reconciled back to him. It's an incredible story of grace. And so when the son finally shows up, the dad is hugging him and, and he is trying to get loose and say, Dad, I got something to tell you. In that moment, the son says, Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I sinned against you. I sinned against heaven. God, I, I am so sorry, Father. I am so sorry. Please, please, please forgive me. Please, I'm sorry. And as he is trying to, to declare his confessions that he's repeated in his mind again and again, all the way back home, as he's rehearsed it, i got to deliver it this way and say it that way, and maybe I can get my, God, my dad's good graces. In that moment, the dad, he, he's not concerned. He's not telling his son, look, you gotta, you, you got to prove to me that you've had a, a, a change of heart. No, no, son, you've you got to show me that you're really truthfully, you know, actually repentive. I want to see you punish yourself so that I can then qualify your state of mind. No, no, no. You need to be here for a certain amount of months and let me see if you're going to be faithful. You're going to have to go to church a certain amount. I want you to pray these amount of prayers. I want you to say all of these prayers and read all of these scriptures. I want you to demonstrate that you are truly transformed. No, that father says, I am gonna. Son, zip it. Hold up. Hold up. Hey, servants, please go get me a new robe. Go get me some rings. Go get me a sandal. Go ahead and and just slaughter the fatted calf. Go ahead. Put on a barbecue. We got to celebrate that. My son that was dead is now alive. He is home. He is back. He is here, and I don't care about anything else. Let's throw a party. Hallelujah. Do you know that that's what Jesus has afforded us with the Father when he came and died on the cross and rose again? He said, I am making a way so that he can close the distance and hug you. This is the incredible gospel, and it's awesome. And we stop there oftentimes. But just take a look just a little further. We got in, in Luke chapter 15. If you look with me here at verse 26, the older brother, though, the older brother was not there. The older brother was out in the field working. He was out there working. And what does he do? As he's approaching the house, as he's returning, he hears music and dancing in the house. And he asks, verse 26, of the servants, what's going on? The servant says, your brother is back. Your father has killed the fatted calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. And now you would imagine, you would consider this. Man, if I, if I had been estranged from my brother, if I had not seen my brother for many years, if my brother had gone, and I thought I would never see him again, and we left on on, on certain terms, and it was abrupt, and he just left, and he, there was this you know family stigma around what he did and, and his exit. If I knew that my brother was back, I would just be like, oh, where is he? Where is he? Let me run to him. Man, this kid that I grew up with, that we had so many memories with, that we, you know, enjoyed life together, that we had adventures together, this brother of mine that has been lost, that I've yearned to have conversations with and share my victories with and, and talk to him about my pains and my sorrows, this brother of mine is back. I have him here. You would think that this brother would be ecstatic. But that's not what he does. This brother hears the news of the servant, and what does he do? He refuses to go inside. The brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And so his father came out and begged him. See, I find it incredible that this dad is consistent with both of his sons, When the younger brother was off in the distance, the one who ran away, the one who squandered, the one who dishonored, the one who disrespected, when he was far away in the distance, what does this father do? He closes the distance by running towards his son. When the older brother is outside and he is so angry and frustrated at what is happening, what does the father do? The father doesn't say, make him come in. No, the father goes and closes the distance by going outside. See, the fact in this story is beautiful that God is faithful. The father is faithful to dispense grace to both of his children. He is faithful to show and demonstrate his grace in both occasions. And in that moment, as that son is there, he does not understand that he needs the grace that his younger brother received. He looks at himself and he says, you know what? Dad, I have been here from the jump. Dad, I have never left your side. What does he say? Look with me in the next verses. He goes on and he says to his dad, All these years I have slaved for you, and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, not even my brother, when this son of yours, when this person that I don't even want to associate with my own blood, this son of yours... Comes back. After squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fatted calf. And his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Church, the issue is we read the story and we think ourselves like the younger brother, but hey, I know me, myself, Brian Ferrier, Pastor Brian. I have been both the young son and the older brother. For some of you guys here, maybe there's some young brothers here and you've you've gone off and you've done your thing. I've been you. I've, I remember in my late teens as I was getting ready to go to college and I was still in high school and, and things were happening. I had a girlfriend and this and that was going on and I had all these ideas of what my life was going to be and I had this inconvenience of having to go to church. Yeah, mom. The inconvenience. Yeah, I grew up with it. I knew it and sometimes I wanted it. Sometimes I was passionate about it but other times I just wanted what the world had to offer. I just wanted to satisfy my flesh and my sin and my desires. I wanted to pursue some things that I knew if my mom would look at me, uh, she would not be too proud of because she taught me better. And so I knew how to play the part. I would wear the mask. I'd come to church. I could, I could quote you scriptures. I could sing the songs. I could you know, put on a mask and, and, and show you that I had a certain integrity about me. But yet when I stepped away from the church, Oh, the church sanctuary, the church people. And you looked at my life and my actions and my words and my thoughts and the things I was listening to, the things I was watching, the things I was doing, the things I was consuming. If you looked at all of that, you would say, he is not a Christian. And so when I went to college, I said, you know what? I'm going to put all of this, you know, mask stuff and all this pretending because I'll be away from mama. I'll be away from family. I'll I'll be out of state. And so, you know what? (laughs) I'll do what I want to do. And I did. I did some of that. Unfortunately, I inquire, I, I, I encourage some, some pain, some sorrow. And, you know, I, I was put into a place where I, I made some bad choices and there was some consequences to my life. So I'm not here judging if there's any younger brothers here. I'm just saying I've been there, but I've also been the older brother where I stop and I look around and I say, God, how come you're blessing that church more than mine? God, don't you see all the work I'm doing? God, don't you see the fact that I, I, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, and, and God, it seems like it's not connecting. Lord, you know, the time that I spend in prayer and I'm doing this, and yet that person just came to faith, and the Lord, you open up doors of opportunity for them. Lord, I've been in church all my life, and yet this kid over here is having an encounter. He hears from you, and he's going out in power. He has such confidence and conviction. And you know what? Look at all the people that he's blessing with his testimony. And Lord, I try to say something, and it's like falling on deaf ears. Lord, how come? You know, you're opening up doors for this person at my job, and I've been there longer, and they're getting promoted, and I'm not. Lord, how come I've I, you know I've I spent time with you and you know I'm my 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 family and this and that and yet there's divorce happening in my home. There's this happening in my situation and God, how come? Look at them, they they're all happy. I can't believe they posted another beautiful picture on Instagram. Just makes me want to smash the dislike button, but there is none. How come it's happening for them and it's not happening for me? I've been the older brother, church. And so I want us to consider this this morning. I got just a few minutes left. Peter is walking after Jesus, having been restored to his hope and his mission, has been told that he will be faithful to the end. He will even pay the price of laying down his life and in doing that, he will bring incredible glory to God. I once heard of a story, I was reading, um, I don't even remember where it was, but it was a, a pastor or a Christian somewhere in Europe and he was being persecuted and he was imprisoned and, and uh, the person, he, he said to the guy, uh, your ultimate weapon that you can use against me is to kill me, is to take my life. But my ultimate weapon that I have is to lay down my life and be martyred. Because the moment that you kill me, it's gonna validate the hundreds of messages that I've shared. It's going to speak volumes in the hearts and the ears of those who hear about my decision to be faithful to the very end. It's going to seal my testimony in my blood and it will affect your defeat further than what you think you're gonna affect upon me. Peter has this incredible news and in that moment, In the flesh, he looks behind and says, what about him? What about my neighbor? What about my family? What about my brother or sister within my very own family that is always taken care of and spoiled and I'm not? What about this? What about that? Whatever. Peter looks and Jesus says, hey, what is it to you? You follow me. Hey, Peter, let me just remind you, what happens when you take your eyes off of me? Peter, remember back to when you were walking on water. There is no other person besides myself that has ever done that. Peter, when you were walking on the water in the middle of that storm, what happened when you took your eyes off of me? Peter, you started drowning. Church, you know, this person and that person has this blessing and that blessing. And you know what, God, where is mine? Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Jesus. Can you just say, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to? And sometimes we look, I remember this growing up. My, my mom, you know, she is an incredible uh, testimony. She, she's a, I often talk about her because she was the example for me. I would see her kneeling down and, 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 and crying and pouring out her heart before the Lord in prayer and just trusting in God. and God moved in our family. He did incredible things in our family and provisions and opportunities and, and all of that. But I remember... I remember so many times where there would be commentary. There would be people who would say things and talk about things. And they would, you know, oh, you guys are so lucky. You guys are so this and that. You guys, oh, you're so blessed. uh, Like with a negative connotation to it. And I would, you know, scratch my head sometimes and say, Yeah, but did they see us in this one-bedroom studio apartment here in Brookside? Uh, Me sleeping on the same bed as my mom on my Ninja Turtles bed sheets with little cockroaches running by? Did they see the hours that she spent in prayer and asking God to open up doors for us and, and the times that she was you know, accused of doing something because she had an employee that, that was working for her and the employee ruined something in the client's house and ruined a rug or ruined an expensive vase and my mom would take out of her own pocket and reimburse the person money that she did not even have for herself but she would do that because she wanted to honor the client and do the right thing and resolve that and not get into the nitty gritty of fighting over that it was this employee who was unresponsive do they see the fact that we just got a financial hit and she's not even complaining? Do, do, do they, see, they say that we're lucky and stuff, but they don't see the price that she's paying, the price that we're paying, the sorrows that we're going through, the troubles in our family. They don't see all of that. All they see is the benefits and the stuff outside and they say, wow, you guys are lucky. Hey, Peter, you know what? Yeah, don't worry about John. Jesus doesn't even answer him about John and we know If you start studying and you look through church history, there was two disciples. John discipled a person named Polycarp, and Polycarp discipled a person named Irenaeus. And Irenaeus tells us in church history what happened to John the apostle. Yeah, all the other disciples were martyred for their faith, but John lived a long life. John lived a long life, and in fact, he was taken prisoner to Rome, and they tried to kill him a couple times, but they failed. John actually, they tried to boil him alive, and somehow he survived. And so he's exiled to this place called Patmos, where we get the incredible revelation, the last book of the Bible. The revelation where in that island, John being a person who's probably a scab all deformed from from them having tried to boil him alive, who's exiled. Yes, he's lived longer. Think about this. John has had to watch every one of his close friends, every one of the other disciples, his partners in ministry, be murdered. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel he was worthy enough to die in the same manner as Jesus. Thomas was speared to death, I believe, and, and all these other disciples skinned, crucified, killed, thrown to the lions, all of these. John has had to witness this and see all of his friends be killed. He's had to live long. Yes, John gets to write the incredible revelation, but he is exiled and he doesn't have a beautiful, perfect life. So God, what about him? Hey, we don't understand everything that God is calling someone else to. So you know what? Hey, Peter, don't worry about that. Mind your beeswax, follow me. Mind your beeswax, follow me. I'm gonna invite the um, Pastor Xavier Lani to, to come on up with us and just put the pads on for us. And I just want us to take a moment to contemplate and reflect as we close out our, our time together today. Here's, here's this idea. The, the young brother, Peter, and sometimes us, we're uh, the older brother, I mean, we're in this situation where we start looking around, we start comparing, we take our eyes off of Jesus. Yet it tells us that we are to, to, to run the race that is set before us. That we are to fix our gaze on, upward. You know, I look up into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. We're to gaze at our Lord and our Savior, not worrying about what this person is doing or that person. Yes, we need to care for each other, no doubt about that. We need to be in community, no doubt about that. But when it comes to our faith and our following of Jesus, we are to follow him and not someone else. Hey, Peter, go follow John. He's not going to die like you. He'll live a long life and be exact. Go. No, he says, follow me. When we start looking around and following what other people are going through and we start comparing ourselves to what their experience is and what the demands for their lives is and, and the blessings and the faithfulness in their lives, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start following and subscribing to someone else's story, to someone else's journey. See, P, see the Apostle Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. We're to follow him. That younger brother, he said this, uh, the older brother, he said, hey, Dad, I've been with you all this time. I have never left you. I have never forsaken you. I did not take one of your dimes and spend it on wild living. I never hooked up with any prostitutes. I never dishonored or disrespected you. I never wished you dead, Dad. But I obeyed your rules. I followed and abide by your house plan. I did everything you asked me to do. But my question is, why did he do it? And my question for all of us is, why are we following Why are we saying Jesus yes to you? Why are we doing that? Why was this brother, was was he doing all of those activities because of the fact that he had love and devotion towards his father? Or was he just doing it for the benefits of what his dad would give him? I wonder, when I see this rising up inside of me, and my gaze slips from Jesus and I start looking around and comparing. I get frustrated with the fact that I'm not where I want to be in his plan and purpose. It's in these moments that that scripture, what is it to you, Brian? Follow me, comes to my heart. Is it that I'm following Jesus because of all the benefits and the perks? Am I seeking his hand as opposed to his heart? Jesus would have us follow him for his heart and not for his benefits. He's not a friends with benefits type of person. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother who is faithful to you no matter what, who loves you and cherishes you no matter what, and who wants you to follow after him because of just who he is. Today, are you following because... You want something. Or are you following because it's the right thing to do. It's what he's asked us to do. Let's share with you a story and we'll close. Open up our altars for prayer. I was reading and I heard a story of Arnold Palmer, who was a a golfer who won incredible trophies and accolades for his golfing. And, And that was definitely a gift that God gave him to be able to do that and you know some people they they can sing incredibly well some people they can serve and communicate and articulate some are charismatic in an incredible way and you know what he was uh, just one shot away in 1961 from winning the Masters and as he's getting ready to go he felt good he knew there was a buzz there was electricity there was was just a confidence in him this is is my year I'm going to win this again I'm going to win this thing and as he looked up he saw an old friend was sitting in the bleachers and his old friend motioned for him to come over and so he is one shot away. He decides to go over and talk to his friend, and that was the moment he lost it. He lost it. He recounts, I lost it right there. Because I went, the minute he went to his friend, his friend stretched out his hand, he said, congratulations. He's like, I lost it because I took my eyes off of the focus and I put it on something else. His next shot went out into the, out into the rough He missed the green and and it was terrible. And then his other shot, he, he messed up and he was one shot away and he lost it. Why? Because he took his eyes off of the goal. When we take our eyes off of Christ, we start saying, hey God, you know what? If I had this, if I had a fraction of that, if I just had an ounce of their blessing, an ounce of their talent, I would, God, I would not be so blatant like they are. I would not be so unappreciative. I would bring you so much more glory than they do. Mind your beeswax. What is it to you? You follow me. See, Peter had the incredible opportunity to be the man that spoke the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that thousands and thousands came to believe in God. He was the eldest of the apostles and he was the one in which Jesus used as a base to establish his church. John was used for another reason. God has a calling for you, and he has a different calling for me. But follow him. So this morning, I want you to just stand with me. This is how I want you to respond today. I just want you to ask God for some forgiveness. If there's a younger brother here, then I want you to ask God to forgive you and and just welcome you back home because he has died for you and he has paid the price for you and the Father is willing to embrace you with loving arms. So if you're here in this auditorium and if you're here online with us, I invite you, if you're the younger brother you've never encountered Jesus Christ, the one who invites you into relationship, today is your day. If you've been a Peter or an older brother, then can you just come into Jesus' light right now? and just ask him, Lord, take this away from me, this comparison game. Help me not to be caught up in what I think about X, Y, Z, and this person and that person, but God, help me to just focus on following you. And maybe there's even someone here, you've taken it so far, you've seen someone else's blessing, and you've, you're ashamed to say it, but you've even wished them some ill will. God, can you just pour some rain on them so that they can understand like the rest of us how life truly is? Lord, forgive us for saying such things or thinking such things. We would never say it out loud. God, forgive us for thinking that we are all alone. Everyone else is blessed. And so we're angry and bitter about it. Wherever you find yourself this morning, Let's just close together in this prayer. Can you say this with me? As believers who wanna follow after Jesus, go to the next side, please. Just say this prayer, that's very simple. Say, Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the savior of the Lord, of the world, and that he gave his life to forgive my sins And he was raised from the grave that I may have life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen and amen. We just worship God for the next few minutes. These altars are going to be open. I invite our uh, deacons to come forward and pray with people. I want to step out and greet you and say hi to you. I want to embrace you and just welcome you to being here with us this morning. But the altars are open. Spend some time with the Lord. He wants to give you his best. And he's got a plan for you. May the love of God, the peace of Jesus that carried him through and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit be with you as you follow after him. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.